We're back with part three with a survivor who's been talking about her experience in Lifeline. At the end of this segment, I will compare straight to Lifeline. Not in depth or anything, but a list I compiled based on this interview. So the next thing we're going to talk about is medical issues. Did you ever experience, witness, or have firsthand knowledge of medical issues that were not addressed, like somebody not getting medical treatment? Yeah, I and I feel like that was pretty common. Like I was saying before, even just with being constipated, um, I felt like I was writing like a medical need slip, like a slip of paper, like hoping a staff member would read it or like bring it to attention or something like that. Um, and it just took forever for it to happen. So um, I did have a newcomer one time and she was throwing up for like weeks and she was like throwing up like to the point it was like bloody and it was like every couple of minutes. Um, I remember like just sitting with her on the bathroom floor in the flick, mm-hmm. you know, and just being like, we, something has to happen. Like it scared me really bad. Uh-huh. Um, and we were lucky in the sense that we had a staff member there that night that I was just like, we have to take her to a doctor or something like there, this is like a lot of blood Mm -hmm. that she's throwing up. And the staff member first had to call someone at lifeline, someone else to, I think, I don't know, let them know or ask for permission to take her. And then they called her mom and then they decided we were going to drive to like a nearby city where I think like her mom works for the hospital or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was kind of a long drive. Um, and she was there most of the night. Mm -hmm. Um, something that's, but I mean, just the fact that it took that long to get there, that girl, her mom pulled her from the program, like right after that incident. Uh Um, and her mom was like a medical professional. So I like, for me, it was like, obviously we've let this go too long, well, yeah. you know, that we're at How did an emergency get that room. out of control? Why didn't they take her to a doctor sooner? I mean, three weeks, that's too long. It was forever. And it really just seemed like a lot of it was just staff and even the group making it be about her, like looking for attention or uh-huh. just not wanting to participate in group. Okay. So yeah, it was just bizarre to me. I can't imagine throwing up for like three weeks straight. Right. <laughs> so right. I mean, there was obviously something wrong. Um, well, medication was also an issue in lifeline. Just everybody you said was medicated. Can you explain what that was like and what they did? Yeah. So, I mean, every morning we would sit in the med line is what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, you just sit Indian style on the carpet in front of like the med office room uh-huh. um, until like you're brought in by staff. And then, but it was literally, I don't really know of anyone that wasn't taking any medication um, while I was there, which was kind of just bizarre. I mean, for me, like my, mom was a strong believer in like medication because she thought I had a chemical imbalance. That's right. Right. But, but I didn't really know anyone else in high school that was on like antidepressants or anti-anxiety or on Seroquel or on 
lithium or anything like that. Um, so most of us were all on drugs like that or on Prozac. Um, yeah. And for me, it was an over medication situation and I might've been over medicated before I even went there. Right. Um, but every time I would get set back, it's my medication dosage would change or go up. So my really what was, is weird now looking back is that my behavior was, it was like they needed a certain medication to fix a behavior, which was so, I don't know, we were teenagers, you know, it's kind of just part of growing up. And if they weren't getting the result they wanted, like from group, it was like, okay, we need to change your medication. So, yeah. Um, what, how did the medications affect you? Like, what was it like? Yeah, for, for me, I felt like a zombie all the time. Like, I almost felt tired all the time, which made it really hard, like, because you have to stay awake in group, and you're in group all day, every single day. Uh-huh. Um, it was really hard for kids to stay awake, and that was a, co- a really common thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what Like, I when I went to college, I had kind of, like, weaned myself off of medication uh-huh. just because I got sick of feeling that way. And I remember I got nervous about like going like for finals week or something. And I was like, I'm just going to take one of these really quick, uh-huh. <laughs> chill out. And it was like, it, I felt like I was in a fog for like three days. Like I was out, like it was really, <sighs> it like, for me, I just was like, there was something not okay about all the medication I was taking because I was taking even more than that in Lifeline. And just to remind you, like, I was a pretty compliant yeah. kid in the program. Right. So for me, it was like, there was no reason for that amount of medication. And I support people and whatever you need to do for your mental wellness. But there is a point where like over medicating to like force kids into submission mm-hmm. is a thing. And it's, that is something that I think was a really common practice right. there. Right. Um, when you, you said kind of like you felt like you were in a fog, do you think it also affected your ability to think clearly? Yeah. Um, it just almost, <laughs> maybe that's why I was so compliant. I don't know. Because right, <laughs> right. I am because I am just like, it just made it seem like not, if I think about me being in that program now, I'm like, I probably would lose my shit. Right. Like, <laughs> as an unmedicated person, but being in that fog, it like kind of deadened how crazy everything seemed yeah. in some way. And I also was thinking while you were talking that maybe being on medication the way you guys were made you guys act out a lot less often than if you hadn't been on medication. Yeah. And that makes like sense to me. It, I don't, I mean, there's obviously, it just really seemed like for me, it took really extreme things for me to be jarred. Right. (laughs) Like in this situation. So that's probably why those are some of the things I remember the easiest Right. versus just a lot of the day-to-day stuff because 
I mean, I've told you a million times, I feel like I blacked out my experience. Right. <laughs> and it isn't until someone says something that is like lifeline lingo uh-huh. that I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, what was that? I remember something about that. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it's kind of biz- it's a bizarre feeling for right, sure. Right. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, okay. I asked you, like, did you pretend making changes at any point, you know, act like you were changing something when you, in reality, you really weren't? And you mentioned giving testimony. Could you explain Mm -hmm. what happened then? Yeah. So my being from a Mormon family, like it was a really big deal to my parents that I had a testimony of the church and believed in it. Uh Um, so they were pretty like hell bent on the idea that I wasn't going to leave there until I had a testimony of the church. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of, I even had, um, a staff member that was like, listen, like you're gonna have to just fake it. If anything, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) we are at this point, like you're never getting out here out of here until you have a testimony. So you better figure it out. Mm-hmm. So I like that was one thing for sure. But I think so many things about it. Like I remember at one point, like being on a higher phase and just thinking, like, you know what? There's no fucking way I'm never gonna talk to my friends back home again. Like they're not bad people. They're not drug addicts. You know, like it's not. They're not druggy friends. Mm-hmm. And just thinking like, yeah, I'll tell the group I'm not going to talk to my friends ever again. I'll write that in this big paper, but I'm going to talk to my friends again, you know? Right, right. There was lots of things like that. Uh-huh. Um, also, do you think honesty was used against you? Like, if you came clean about something, you would actually get in trouble instead of praise for, good job, you got honest. Or was it you got punished for it? Yeah, well, we were... I mean, for the most part, I feel like honesty was punished. Um, Like, I just always think about the honesty marathon. That's what I was going to ask you about. What was that rap like? Or group? Um, Yeah. So just a clinician walks in the group room one day and is like, this group is sick. Like, you all need to get honest. And just this whole huge thing. Um, and it was always kind of a big deal when he just walked into group, mm-hmm. he's just kind of a loud person. Right. Um, so then we decided we're having an honesty marathon and you get a sheet of paper, like a piece of printer paper and a pencil. And you need to write on that paper, all of your dishonesties. So I, I think I was still kind of newish in the program. Like, mm-hmm. I think I had my shoes at that point. Maybe I was on second phase. Um, and yes, I was on second phase and I was like, this is a great opportunity. I'm just going to show how honest I am. Like I'm working my program, like everything. So I wrote every dishonesty, like any negative feeling I had about anyone. Like I, if I didn't like a certain staff member or if I didn't feel like I had shaken someone's sheets out well enough, even though like there was nothing in there. I was gonna like, say it doesn't even sound like dishonesty. It sounded just more like emptying your brain of anything that was in there that was remotely negative. <laughs> yeah. 
So any negative thought about the program, right. I was like writing it down. And so I wrote it all down because I was like, I just want to like have it all out there. I don't want to be confronted anymore. And then a couple of days of the honesty marathon go by and my clinician still hasn't picked up my paper or like called me to sit on the stool in front of the group. Um, and he, he saved me for last, the very last out of the whole group. Uh-huh. And, um, just like laid into me and was like, do you understand that you have the most dishonesties of anyone in this group? Like you are the reason the group is sick. Um, all of this stuff. And I got set back, um, and the program, it was just weird because it was also like, then the whole group gets to confront you and just talk shit to you and just tell you about all of your character defects and like how, like for me, it just was annoying because I felt like it was always about like how I'm a shitty example to my siblings and not living like the Mormon way and, you know, all of those things. It was, yeah, but the honesty, I it was just weird to think that it was called an honesty marathon and I got in huge trouble for being honest. That, that sounds backwards. It's like counterproductive. If they really yeah. wanted you to get honest, then why would they punish you for doing exactly what they wanted you to do? Well, and what was weird too was I, it, there was kids that like got honest about like they had smoked a cigarette when they went home or something. Uh-huh. And they like, it was not, they didn't save them for last. Like it was because I had written so many on the paper. I just had the wrong idea of what it actually was. Yeah, you would have been better off just listing a couple little things on there, kind of lying <laughs> and saying, yeah. well, this is all there is, you know? I mean, it, everything seemed reversed. Yeah, for sure. Um, there was other times you were set back as well. Um, one of when you got a tattoo. Do you want to tell us about that um, one? <laughs> yeah. It was... <sighs> Shoot. It was, I mean, I was a newcomer at that time and I mean, you just kind of, I actually had two old comers that night, uh-huh. if I'm remembering right. And, um, yeah, you kind of, I just kind of was going with, <laughs> I don't know. The lifeline tool thing is very similar to straight in the way where it's like peer pressure, like gets you in it, gets you out of it, yep. you know, that whole thing. Uh-huh. Well, it got me in it that night. I don't know. <laughs> I my old comers did like actually smoke cigarettes in the host home, which was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my old comers carved a tattoo in my foot with an exacto knife and then rubbed, um, just like pen ink inside of it. Uh-huh. And I really just, I honestly, I think I just was so new and I was just like, whatever. Like, mm-hmm this is what we're doing now. Okay. Like I didn't right. know really what to expect. It was one of the first host homes I'd been to. And, um, anyways, I don't remember if I think one of my old comers got honest or she told another someone. Um, but I didn't say anything. I was like, I'm not saying anything. Right. And so anyways, basically someone else got honest and I got in huge trouble and it was this whole big thing where they had to call my parents and I don't know, I had to get like a tetanus shot. That was one thing 
that was like a, me- a medical need that I guess they met. Right. <laughs> but I wonder if my parents <laughs> were like, I don't know. Right. And then um, I also had to do this thing where like, I, pick, I had to pick this, like, scab off and pour, like, hydrogen peroxide in it every day mm. <laughs> so that it wouldn't be permanent. Um, so, yeah, I got set back for that. I'm trying to remember what – I know there was other times. Um, the other one you told me was when you turned 18, you tried to sign out, and then what yep. happened – that was another time. What happened then? Um, I just – I turned 18, and I was just, like, I'm – gonna leave i'm freaking over it i don't remember if something else had happened or what but because kind of up to that point like i feel like i was like kind of in a good space in the program for the most part Uh i remember the group started to say things to me like we're proud of you like yeah look how far you're you've come all of this stuff um anyway so i was just like no i'm gonna sign out and then my parents like emergency drove to Utah Uh Um, and had like an emergency meeting with my clinician and my parents and I was just like I'm leaving like I don't care so and my mom said that I I don't remember saying this but just that I was my parents were like we're not gonna because Lifeline had coached them my parents said like you'll never see your siblings again like if you sign out you won't be allowed to be a part of our family. Like we will press charges against you for this check that you took like a few years ago mm-hmm. right. <laughs> to use somewhere. Like all of these things, like just threatening me with what would happen if I left. And I said, like, I didn't care. Like I was, I said, I will go live on the streets in downtown Salt Lake city. Like I will find some old man that will take care of me. <laughs> like, I was down to prostitute myself. I didn't care. I, and I like, don't really talk that way in front of my parents. I, I hadn't really. Right. So it was kind of, they were like, what is happening? But they just, my mom said that Lifeline really like told them that they couldn't take me home. Like that they needed to tell me all of these things to keep me there, to keep me safe, you know? And then I think me saying those things like probably didn't help. Then my parents are like, oh, yeah, well, she obviously needs to stay here. She's saying stuff like that, you know. So then I got set back in the program again. And my medication, i that's a significant time that I remember them upping my medication because it was like I walked out of that session and they had the psychiatrist there to change it, like to talk to me about it and change it. So it was it was kind of. I don't know. Just, I wish I would have just left, <laughs> to be honest with you. Right, right. And in some ways. It reminds me of the desperation we were talking about a while ago. Like, some kids, they were ingesting bleach or doing really crazy things to get out. And that meant they were desperate. And your desperation showed up in a different way. But yeah, you, you were at that point where you just had to get the hell out of there. Yeah, it felt like I was never going to leave. Is really honestly how it felt. It was the worst. And but I just remember thinking like I don't know like I kind of believed I wouldn't see my siblings again. Mm-hmm. And I kind of worried like what my parents would tell them <laughs> happened to me. 
And what, what's really bizarre to me is you were 18, you were an adult, and you actually had the right to make that decision. That was your decision. It, what's weird is it just didn't feel that way either. Right. Which is why I brought it up, because they threatened you in ways that, I don't know, to me it's just an 18-year-old has a right to do what they want, whether they like it or not, you know. Yeah. But that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel you on that one. Uh, let's I talk understand. About, let's talk about education, because that was another big issue. Um, did you get to go back to your high school or a high school at all? No. No, I didn't. I just did um, classes in the program for an hour or two a day, I think is all. Um, what were those classes was, like? <laughs> it wasn't school. <laughs> like, to me, it wasn't. Uh -huh. um, it was all things I had already learned. And I felt like, honestly, for me, it was stuff I had learned, like, in middle school or junior high. Like, it was not at all, like a senior in high school education in any way, shape or form. Um, even to the point, like I could just tell most of the teachers were just like, there's nothing like we can teach you right now. Mm -hmm. Like I had a teacher that w she felt so bad for me and like, just I think she was worried because she knew I was like going to go to college, hopefully um, that she was just like trying to give me books. I remember she gave me a calculus book and like wrote me a message in it. Uh -huh. But yeah, it was not normal school. And I can, I mean, maybe I can understand for some of those kids that maybe never went to school. I don't know. Right. That they needed it. But um, yeah, it would have been harder for me to get my GED, I think, than graduate from there because they just gave me a diploma from did, a random school in Utah. Did you take tests or get grades? I don't think so. I think they had like report cards. Somehow they gave me a GPA. Like somehow they gave me a GPA. Based on what? Um, I don't get I it. I don't know. <laughs> because I, I'm not sure. Because it's you already so, knew everything that you learned four or five years before. So you already knew everything. So. So yeah. I. Wow. Yeah. Just what, got my diploma. <laughs> How would you rate Lifeline's education? I got, let's see, poor, substandard, the bare minimum, average, good, or excellent. What would you call it? I would it? say poor. I would say poor. Okay. <laughs> At I least know. for my situation, I, I felt like it was poor. Like, I don't feel like I learned anything as a, s a senior in high school. Right. So. And you said it was only like an hour or two every day. That's all. Yeah. Which, mm -hmm. I don't know how much you can learn in that short of time, but. No. Um. <laughs> But you did, they did give you a certificate, right? Or some yep. kind of diploma, but it wasn't, what school was it from? Because you didn't go to a school. Yeah, it was called Oak Grove High School. And supposedly the address is in Ogden, Utah. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's like an actual physical school. Okay. Or not, but that's what it, that's all it was. And I mean, it got me into college. Right. You did get to university. go to college eventually, at least, but yeah but in between but, that time you got nothing no and i kind of just had to hope that that i remember being stressed about going to college and like not even almost not even feeling like that was a real diploma you know what i mean right right um hold on here i'm gonna shift gears on you again 
And it, honestly, it's probably one of the most disturbing... I mean, there's other disturbing things she told me, but this one was just... There was an autistic girl. You kind of mentioned her a little earlier. Can you tell me about her? Um, yeah. Like I said earlier, she she had had some sexual trauma, too, in her life mm-hmm. um, from early on. And she, like, obviously she wet the bed like every single night like she had to have special like the special plastic sheets or whatever Uh it was always just a big deal she couldn't control her emotions like even the way pretty much any of the other kids could in the group so she was always always in trouble but she was autistic there's a reason that yeah and like even in front of the whole group like clinicians would say things like she has the mentality of an eight-year-old like all of these things but she would still get in trouble which was bizarre to me that she was even there in the first place right you know she would have a huge freak out and like just lay down on the ground um like most kids didn't and it was just very I don't know. It she was treated like everyone else but almost worse because she just couldn't communicate what she was feeling or just get with the program the way that they wanted her to. You know, she would wet pee in her chair or just like smear poop in the bathroom stall like Poor girl. it was a bunch of just random things like that and she was always getting in trouble which makes no sense to me how she was even in that program she was autistic. for so long. She couldn't have possibly have gotten with the program. She, there's, no. Yeah, I don't understand. Keep going, sorry. That's blowing um, my mind. No, I think, at, I think at some point, like, her parents just pulled her from the program because she had been there for so long and just it wasn't going. Like, she was not progressing at all. Well, there was, you know, and there's something else that really blew my mind. She didn't even understand what female anatomy was. Uh, Yeah, I forgot about that part. So that was just another one of those things like the girl, like how traumatizing group therapy can be because it was like so much sexual detail. Uh And for someone to be like in her capacity and be sitting in groups like that every day was probably more traumatizing, especially considering her past. Um, but yeah, she, I remember she felt like she really had to get honest in girls group. Um, Mm. and she felt like she also, she felt like she had testicles. She like, didn't understand like what her body was. Like she was so confused. She was concerned that she was lying about being a girl, like all of these things. And like literally in the group had to have like this conversation about, you know, your vulva and your vagina and all of these things, which was so I can't even imagine I worry about her still to this day how hard that would have been to like under like how confusing I guess the situation would have had to be to be at that point you know were you her old comer at some point too yeah yeah that's why you know so much about her yeah um we switched to old comers like all the time right um like daily sometimes Mm -hmm. uh but we kind of rotated and i had her often um i also remember it too because as an old comer like you have to shake 
it's I'm not trying to be mean, but it was just really hard. Like I felt like I was taking care of a child because yeah. I was changing her sheets. I was shaking out her sheets. I had to wash her sheets like all the time, she, you know, and she was, she also was concerned to, well, she had been confronted about like masturbating at night, but she was just trying to figure out her figure out what was happening. You know, she just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I remember a lot about her and I worry about it a lot too. Right. Right. Um, didn't you also tell me that kids from mental hospitals were put in lifeline? Yeah. Um, like uni was the most common one and mm-hmm. I found out that the clinician had worked for uni. So the cl- clinician at lifeline. So that was a pretty common referral that kids from uni would come to lifeline. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the times it come from after like a suicide attempt or something that they had been there, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, random, lots of random things. Right. Um, so they kind of flowed back and forth occasionally. Right. So there was kids in there with true mental illnesses in addition to kids with quote unquote compulsions. Oh yeah, for sure. Like there was kids with like severe schizophrenia, you know, in the program. Wow. I can't even fathom why they would be put in a place like Lifeline. It just seemed like they needed something different. I mean, I'm not saying I'm an expert because I'm not, but I just I think it was like common sense. Yeah, and I think for some parents it was presented more as like a group home situation. Okay than what it actually was. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so you did end up graduating from Lifeline. I'm kind of shifting to after Lifeline now. You had some difficulties adjusting to the real world. Some pretty crazy stuff started to happen. Do you want to tell us what happened after? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a struggle for sure. I would say just... The biggest one was that, um, like, really shortly after I started college, I got married. How <laughs> to long someone after? I had, like, three months. That's quick. <laughs> um, which, for me, it just seemed, growing up in the religion I did, it was, that like, that was kind of my next step. And uh-huh. Lifeline also was kind of really predominantly Mormon, and th- they, like, all kind of, it was something that kind of just seemed like for from family and from lifeline, it just seemed like that was the next step and it was Utah. So it's super normal to get married really young. Um, right. And quickly. So I got married really young, really quickly to someone who, I mean, I just couldn't have known like who that person was right now I'm like you have to live with someone before you marry them I know not everyone agrees with that but right I just couldn't have known so many things um about uh, that person and so I got divorced really young too um I started I mean I wasn't 21 yet and I was like drinking a lot Uh um I it was just it was kind of a weird time. Like I just feel like it was all, to be honest, it's kind of a blur. And I really struggled to just kind of figure out where the fuck I was in life. It was really hard to go from 
having a routine schedule that's super strict every single day. And then all of a sudden you're an adult. Like I didn't ever, I never lived with my parents after Lifeline. Okay. Like it was an immediate transition just into adulthood. Uh Um, and it was really confusing for me. What, I, I think <laughs> would would you kind of call it culture shock like going from the culture of lifeline to the culture of the real world oh for sure okay my 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 husband that was was in the military and he like says it's it was probably like going back to civilian life you know right exactly like, yeah be but all of a sudden I just had left childhood so abruptly uh-huh and so and I was just oversharing yeah that's <laughs> that was a thing. thing yeah confessing like you learn to confess in lifeline and that's what you have to do and then you get out in the real world and you were telling me you were still doing it <laughs> I was so it was just weird I was just over explain and I still do it now I kind of and I like still over explain I was always terrified of being in trouble and my parents kind of even kind of went with it like I just felt like I had to I felt like even still I was in trouble with my parents over everything I was like terrified to talk to my parents I still get uncomfortable talking to them Mm -hmm. anything like that so yeah and you you also talked about your perfectionist streak that it actually got worse after lifeline yeah and you said because of lifeline it reinforced it or yeah for sure because it I mean, I was kind of, I kind of already grew up that way. And then afterwards, it was just like, if things were not 100% perfect, like it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, in some ways, it made me succeed really well in business from a really young age. Um, but it also would like consume my life, like literally for like, the next 10 years after Lifeline, like, I had to work all the time I had to feel like I was the best in what I was doing like I had to feel like I was like constantly mentoring people I was even like picking not in a mean way but I felt like I had to tell everyone what I noticed was like wrong that they were doing all the time I know what you mean totally yeah would you say that that's the program taught you to do that? Because you had to do it to each other in the program from what you were saying. All the time. Yeah. I felt like I was always giving feedback, literally. Uh-huh. I, I can't tell you how, like, how many times in those 10 years I was saying, can I give you feedback real quick? Can I give you feedback real quick? Like, all the time. And how do people sure react I, to that? I mean, I... W- I was pretty lucky in the sense that I moved into leadership roles really young. So then they didn't really have a choice. They kind of had to do it. But I, I don't think that that is something that comes naturally to me. It was definitely something I learned in lifeline. Well, it's one of those things that you're taught that does not work in the real world at all. It works in lifelines bubble, you know, but that's it. Mm -hmm. Most people yeah. don't analyze themselves. They don't confess everything that goes through their brain. They don't give each other feedback. I mean, yeah, they're nice ideas, but they were done in an extreme way, which is what made them the problem. It was the extremism of them. Yeah. 
For sure. Yeah. Um, what about your, you did talk a little bit about your relationship with your parents, but after Lifeline, could you kind of go into a little bit more detail of how that dynamic was? Yeah, I would just say um, I am the least connected to my parents of any of my siblings, for okay. sure. Okay. Um, for lots of reasons, but Lifeline is a big one of them. I just had severe, like, anxiety talking to them in general. Like, just, it was, I don't even know if anxiety is the right word. It was, like, terror, almost. Uh-huh. Like, I don't like, even now I really have a hard time talking to my parents or like being around them. Like I don't, I'm so visibly uncomfortable. Like I can't even look them in the eye most of the time when I'm talking to them. And that's something that they notice that it's slowly getting better as I've like shared all of this with them. But I haven't really had a good relationship with my parents and I just didn't tell them anything. Right. (laughs) Like I made a very clear decision after lifeline. I was never going to ask them for anything ever again. Um, just because I was terrified that they would have that control over me, you know, to like keep me somewhere or like put me back or, you know, all of those things. So it was just really, really severed that relationship for me for a long time. And you also said you were still afraid of getting in trouble from them. Yeah. Even now, like I still worry that my parents are going to be mad or I'm going to be in trouble or Uh something. And I'm, I like have to take a second and just be like, what are they? There's nothing they can do. Like you're an adult. (laughs) It's fine. Like, Uh yeah, it's, but it is that it's hard to explain to people that don't get it. I really just have that constant worry that I'm in trouble with them. Uh Uh-huh. Well, you you kind of alluded to that you've been talking about this recently. You woke up, is what survivors call it, a a few months ago. Can you tell me how that happened? Yeah. Um, I, there was like a sequence of events and I like feel like I get mixed up about which ones happen first sometimes. Okay. But the, the main one I remember, um, was just, and I think maybe I had started looking at some stuff about Lifeline, like on social media or reconnected with someone. But, um, and I had a former staff member, like call me, ask me if I would share like, or talk about my experience with her. And she kind of apologized to me. I didn't think a ton of it. I was kind of bothered, but it wasn't driving me nuts. And then my mom, um, said something at Thanksgiving dinner, (laughs) um, that bugged me. I, she was just kind of always been a helicopter parent and has never really understood boundaries the best, but she kept trying to like force food and like water on my husband. And he kept saying no. And I was, she wouldn't stop. And I just said, mom, just like honor his boundaries. (laughs) And she was like, that sounds like something you learned in lifeline. Uh And I did, I didn't really say anything in the moment, but it like really was nagging me and bugging me. Uh And then I, I kind of started like, talking more to staff members. First of all, I went home and I like cried that night and I was just, why am I so bad? I start, I kept talking to former staff members and like people I was in the program with, I watched the movie, fix my kid. 
Uh-huh. I was listening to like whatever podcast I could. And when I watched Fix My Kid, I was just like, holy shit, that is lifeline. What was the movie really about, though? It was about straight. Right. Okay. Um, ink. And I kept looking more and I realized like lifeline, what is like a derivative of straight, mm-hmm. you know, it has, it's had different names over the years and there's a reason for that, but right. it is the same program. There's a couple things that have changed, right? but why, w- I mean, I would expect a change to happen over a few decades in some ways, but it, for all intents and purposes, it was the same program that I was seeing on the TV. And then I was instantly like traumatized, right. you know, like was I that can't, a shock? That in- all the anxiety came back and I just, I was so emotional. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I hadn't been that emotional for a long time. And it was just like all these years of just like not talking about it. That was crazy and i had to take a second like around christmas break and just be like and just chill right and i just like i even i was like i have like i quit working like i was like i there's something not okay still Uh you know and it's because i hadn't been talking about it so yeah that's what i i woke up and um recently like i just talked i mean my mom called me I think I told you this. My mom called me and was like hysterical one day. It was really random. So I feel like a lot of this is like, you can call it divine intervention or whatever. Right. But it was all around the same time. She called me and she said, I feel like you and I don't have a relationship. And she was like hysterically crying. And I was like, are you okay? Like Uh what is happening? Did something happen? Um, And she said, no, I just feel like, you know, me and my mom were best friends when I was your age. And I felt like I called her every single day and you never call me. <laughs> she was like, we talk like every couple of weeks, maybe uh-huh. like, um, and I just said, mom, honestly, like I am struggling with all of this stuff around lifeline. Mm-hmm. And I had her watch the video because uh-huh. I really just felt like that's another thing about lifeline is you just never feel like anyone believes you ever again yeah um so i just and i didn't feel like my parents would believe me so i said you just need to watch this video and she watched it and she was even like and being a parent it's you have a different experience but she was like that looks just like it Uh um and just she kind of i'm i feel blessed that she wants she will talk to me about it yeah a little bit uh-huh. because and i still sense like she feels really defensive about a lot of it right too yeah which is normal i think but it's been good to also get her insight and know the things that lifeline was promising my parents that never happened you know uh-huh right um right. you block stuff out too right like you you kind of have told me many times like every time we talk you remember something new but you've realized that you've blocked things out and that in itself was upsetting to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, that was a big, like, like, I don't know. The memory repression was like scary to me. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's not like, well, again, I'm no expert, but the common experience for many survivors has been the same. 
exactly the same. They block stuff out, and then it all comes back in a flood, just like you, the, you've been going the, I think the thing about it, too, is you just don't know, like, you just, you especially going through that experience, you already feel like you can't trust anyone. So you live right. the majority of adult life feeling that way. Mm -hmm. But then when you realize, like, I don't remember, like, 80% of something uh -huh. that happened for me to to me for a year like I can't I can't trust myself now either like that's really for me how it felt mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah it that I think that part also triggered just like extreme anxiety Would, did you have um I guess I'm kind of getting at long-term effects like how the program affected you we're, we're talking about some of them but you said you had PTSD before. Have you ever gotten help? Or has do you think any of your PTSD got worse after Lifeline? Or um, It did for sure. I, like, I started going to therapy um, probably about two years ago. Okay. Um, and it was, it was just weird because even sharing that, like a couple things that I did remember because I didn't remember a lot then. Right. During a couple things I did remember, like my therapist was shocked. Like right. that that the thing. Um and like diagnosed me with CPTSD. Right. So mm -hmm. it's but it's um long term, I don't know. I just always I feel that struggle or worry around like I'm over explaining because I feel like people don't believe what I'm saying or right. just anxiety of always being in trouble or looking someone in the eye, um, which I didn't, even though I had PTSD before, I didn't, I didn't have all of, all of those things, mm -hmm. you know, like I think that I was still able to like look people in the eye and not over explain before right. I went to look. So you're you're you are seeing clear differences in before and after Lifeline. Yeah, for sure. And one thing I would just say was just like I learned <laughs> if I learned something from Lifeline, it was just kind of how to be more fluid in certain situations, like to kind of almost like chameleon or blend in, um, blend in or almost like mirror other behavior sometimes. Like if I felt like I needed to, to like, almost like to protect myself from like a, on like a weird situation, you know, because uh -huh. so much of that I've been thinking about was a big part of lifeline, just like mirroring certain behaviors, you know, was a big way to get out. I was going to say, that's what you had to do. You had to do what everybody else was doing. You couldn't be yourself because if you did, I mean, you, you told me several times you just got set back for it. And and I think that is a big part, too, of, like, why I didn't talk about it at all, really. Uh -huh. First of all, like, didn't even, like, tell my husband, you know, that I've had for the last, like, eight years. Really, any, I mean, it was just a brief, like, oh, yeah, I went to this place, whatever. Right. But didn't really talk about it just because I didn't want it was just 
like uncomfortable and it was like not talking about it was like making it it almost felt more of like a confrontation situation to talk about it right or i embarrassed about it which is weird too right i i don't know why i felt embarrassed i just did (laughs) right right um you uh approached me about doing the podcast so you made a decision that you wanted to speak out and share your experience can you tell me why you decided to do that yeah uh shoot i mean there's i feel like there's could be a million reasons um the biggest one for me oh my gosh every time this is the part i get emotional about big for me was just that i um shoot (laughs) i think i just would feel so guilty like not knowing i didn't say something and knowing that there's kids still going there yeah and um I just don't want anyone to ever go there ever again (laughs) to a program like that Mm -hmm. and I think that there is like therapy and you know teens needing therapy right there, but it like has to be a complete like a way safer space than what it you know is happening in lifeline mm-hmm. and it what scares me is the fact that it is so much like straight but it's still and like there's a reason straight isn't here anymore you know right but that lifeline is allowed to it just makes sense right. <laughs> so I think the for me, it was just like there, like it has to, like it can't be a thing anymore. It has to stop. Yeah. Like we've already decided it's not okay, but they're still open. <laughs> right, right. Um, I think you also mentioned that you thought this might help your healing process. Yeah, for sure. Just it, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know I had all of these like repressed emotions and feelings about it, and mm-hmm. when I when it happened. Like when I woke up, it was just such a, like, really like a terrifying experience uh-huh. that I'm just something, I can't go another 10 or 20 years and just, you know, not talk about it anymore. Right. It got to the point where it had to come out, would you say? Yeah. I just can't imagine like keeping it in. Like, I feel like I've already healed so much and just like a few months uh-huh. of being up that like I can't imagine like going another so many years and like not talk I can't imagine the detriment it would have on my life if mm-hmm. that makes sense right or just my relationship you know I have a daughter <laughs> so thinking about just even breaking that cycle I just don't want to be that parent or you know those kinds of things. <laughs> what well, what kind of advice, since you are a parent, if somebody has a kid and they asked you, you know, because you've been in a place, what, where would you put, what would you do? Would you, how would you advise them? I mean, I know it's kind of a tricky question, but. Uh, knowing what you know now. I think it is really hard. I, I am a huge advocate for therapy. Uh-huh. Um, but. I'm also, I think that it's um, also important for parents to get, like, honest therapy for themselves. 
I think is like really where it kind of starts because Lifeline said it was a family program, but didn't really heal anything for, or like help my parents through anything therapeutically. Uh-huh. It was really just about me yeah, being a person and how their problems are like, it's my fault. But I think if they had had more therapy for like themselves and, you know, if they had been able to talk to someone and say like, I was physically abused when I was younger and having a therapist say like, that was not okay. Like, uh-huh. I think my life would have been different and they wouldn't have had the same approach on and choose a place, you know, like life. <laughs> they, it, it just, yeah, I think, you know, therapy is a huge, a huge thing. And just talking about breaking family cycles, I understand that there's situations where like kids can be <laughs> deemed out of control or whatever. I hate even saying that because right. it was such a common thing to be said back then but and I think that there should be safe spaces you know but I think consent also is a big deal yeah in those spaces you know so it sounds like you're saying it's okay to help it's more an issue of how you do it oh of course right yeah and your experience from everything you've said was just not the way to go about it you needed something different yeah, for sure. And like I said, I had been to like counselors and stuff before, but it was, it always seemed um, very much like my parents were always in the session. And it was always just like, it really always seemed like directed at me. I didn't really find, I don't know. It was just, I didn't really find a lot of, um, didn't really ever find anything one when I was living at home where it was like working on healing trauma mm-hmm. and I know it changed a little bit now which is great uh-huh. but it wasn't ever going to a counselor to heal trauma it was like going to a counselor so I stopped so you behaved yeah because <laughs> I so I stopped pissing my parents off you know <laughs> right right yeah and there's always something underneath the behavior you know it, it behavior is a symptom there, there's something else going on you know usually from what I've noticed all the kids I was in straight with you know it was the same thing a lot of us really did need help is this we didn't need that you know that was the last thing we needed so so anyway but I'm glad that you have found people that you can reach out to because that's really huge after you wake up it's really hard because you've been going through a lot and I'm glad that you found people that can help you through it and thank you for sharing i know that was really brave (laughs) thank you i think it's just i guess i would just say i think it's important that more people talk about it because i think a lot of us are just scared yeah to talk about it especially with lifeline being still open yeah that you've been hearing that this is something that's been going on for decades not just that lifeline kind of um I hate to say makes it more believable, but just kind of makes it more real, I guess, you know? Yeah, it's it wasn't just me, kind of. I'm not crazy. It really was that bad and really happened to a lot of people. So, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. And, you know, hopefully there'll be more brave people. Thanks. <laughs> yes, thank right. you. 
So throughout this interview, I noticed many ways that straight and lifeline were alike, and I noticed some things were different than straight. This list that I compiled is based on when this survivor was in Lifeline. Some things talked about in this interview and on my list have changed since that person left the program. Not everything is still the same now. But since I was in straight, I thought it would be interesting to compare the two programs at that moment in time when that Lifeline survivor was in Lifeline. This is a sample of some of the things that were the same in both programs. Tear them down, build them back up. That approach is used. In other words, destroy the child in order to supposedly help the child. Sometimes this idea is expressed as forcing the kid to hit rock bottom so that he or she could change. Both programs heavily relied on untrained, uneducated staff. Lifeline is confrontational and so was straight. Although it sounds like Lifeline toned it down a little, but it still sounds terrifying. Victims of child abuse made to take responsibility for it. Compliance with the rules was not enough. You had to believe in the program in order to advance. You couldn't talk to anyone in group. Couldn't look at each other either. And if you did, you got in trouble. So both programs had uh, some sign language, so to speak. Uh, each program had different hand signals saying different things, but it, the idea was the same. It was replacing talking since you couldn't talk. Both programs fostered a culture of snitches or reporting each other. Kids falsely accused kids of anything and everything. Both programs taught that you had to be strong with or hold each other accountable. That turned into a lot of false accusations to get ahead in the program. Acts of desperation or cries for help were common in both programs as well, and kids were frequently confronted, set back, or ridiculed for it. Uh, for example, suicide attempts like drinking bleach or cleaner or self-harm in various ways. Both programs used isolation to punish. Both cut off communication between parent and child for a period of time. When talks or phone calls were allowed, they were monitored by staff or by an oldcomer. Honesty is frequently punished in both, or was just not enough. There had to be more, according to the group. In other words, you were not believed when telling the truth. Kids 18 and older who wanted to leave the program were sometimes threatened with no contact with their family or were broken down until they agreed to stay in the program. Limiting availability of the bathroom, then confronting those who used the bathroom at undesignated times was also an issue in both programs. Uh, limited access to bathrooms also led to accidents in group. Medical care withheld for a variety of reasons, either because they refused to believe the child, accused them of faking, or confronted or blamed them for their injuries or illnesses. Both had open meeting, almost identical. Both had to write moral inventories, which was commonly known as MIs, and both programs used host homes. When Lifeline used them, they were the same as straight, and old comers were in charge. Now I'm going to talk about some of the differences that I noticed between Lifeline and Straight. First, the Mormon culture influenced Lifeline in various ways. Straight did seem to have religious undertones, but it was not overtly religious. Lifeline used transporters to get the kid to the program, but parents took the kids to Straight. 
Introduction to group for the first time was a much bigger deal in Lifeline. There, the kids were put on a stool in front of the group. They were introduced. They had to list their drug history or their compulsions. And then the group would give the new, brand new newcomer feedback or made, fault, or made accusations. Street just told the group their name, the drug list, and set them down in front row. There were groups all day long, like in Straight. But Lifeline had a few that Straight didn't have. Lifeline had a group called Survivors Group for victims of sexual abuse. They had a sexually reactive group and the two-thirds rural group. Both Straight and Lifeline taught that you would end up dead in an institution or in jail as a scare tactic. But Lifeline actually called it the two-thirds rule and had a specific group on the topic. In Lifeline, shoes were taken away to prevent copping out, which means running away, but straight belt looped to prevent it. Although I've been told that Lifeline did use belt looping at one time. Shouldering in Lifeline is what replaced belt looping, and that means... An old comer would lead a newcomer around by with their hand on their shoulder. Lifeline medicates kids in that program. Straight, on the other hand, refused medication for most of its history. Even aspirin was not allowed. Um, but that did start to change in the last few years of Straight's history. Both programs used host homes. But Lifeline added the Flick, which was a lockdown facility where some of the kids stayed instead of the host home. School. Straight provided no education at all for kids on first and second phase. They went back to school on third phase, and that was a real school. In Lifeline, they had some form of school for an hour or two a day before they could go back to school. Um, Lifeline, they were required to date in the program, and that is the exact opposite of straight Straight forbade dating while in the program and even six months afterward, you couldn't date at all. Uh, straight was considered a drug rehab. Lifeline, however, they claimed to address drug abuse, mental health issues, and other unwanted teen behaviors known as compulsions. Straight did talk about druggy behavior, though, and what they called dry druggies which were catch-all phrases that really meant unwanted teenage behavior, which is similar to compulsions. So the programs were about the same thing. They just used different terminology. Straight, though, did not claim to be addressing mental health issues. Thanks for listening, and we'll have another podcast soon. Thanks. Thanks.